0: Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message.
1: We cry out, we cry
0: out. Well, today uh, I want to talk to you about rivers and ponds, and I want Grace Fitzpatrick to join me on stage right now and here's why. Um, The message today is all about the river and how we have following Jesus and how our our church is supposed to be more like a river than just a pond and not be stagnant and there's a great psalm that speaks to that. Now a couple weeks ago our daughter Sarah uh, was here and she was talking about her role with her husband Greg who's a military chaplain and they're doing ministry out in Colorado and in Eastern Europe And she was talking about about memorizing Psalm Psalm 46, and Grace took it on herself to memorize it completely. And so we're going to use it today in the message. And so I thought it'd be so cool if Grace would come and say that before the whole church. Would you do that for us, Grace? Grace Fitzpatrick.
1: Psalms 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear... Though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters there roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river, the stream, whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. The heathens raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted, the Lord's host is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations He has made in the earth. He maketh wars to season to the end of the earth, He breaketh the bow, he cutteth the spear in center, He burneth the chariot in the fire, Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord's host is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge.
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Gracie. Amazing job. Thank you, hon. She, uh, I know she worked on that for a while, but I don't think it took her that long, right? Like about three days, maybe, something like that. I know her siblings were very helpful in that as well, and uh, grateful for that scripture memory. Man, it just comes a part of your life. It's a part of who you are, and it just comes out at times. In fact, I was driving next to them the other day, and Gracie rolled down her window, and I said Psalm 46, and she recited it all the way up Military Trail, which I thought I thought was pretty spectacular, you know? Um, we witnessed to the entire corridor of Military Trail between here and Atlantic Avenue, so that um, was pretty cool, and she was shouting it, so I think it was proclaimed quite well. Um, you heard in the middle of that Psalm that there is a river, that makes glad the city of God. And we, we see this picture of God moving forward and conquering enemies, and we see God as this awesome force. What we don't see is God standing still. We don't see God not moving forward. We see God moving forward in this river, this powerful force. A matter of fact, in the, the idea in, in Hebrew of living water is the idea of a river. And Jesus said to the woman at the well, he said, I would give you living water, which is flowing water, which means fresh water. Um, And that's what this is all about. And today we're going to see the church, the early church, as a river. And we need to think about our lives and our church as either a river or a pond. How many of you have ever experienced, you know, what a, what a pond is? You know, it means not a koi pond that's real decorative like we have around here sometimes with those fish that uh, you should never eat. But in Missouri, in rural Missouri, where my, my grandparents had places when I was a child, they had these these wonderful farms we could go roam around the, the whole Uh, and through the woods, and across fields, and get chased by bulls. It was really an exciting place, you know, and see some kind of snakes that would probably kill us, but probably not. Um, But they had on their land, our grandparents both had farms, and they had lakes and ponds. And my grandpa, Thomas in particular, he had this pond near his house. Now, in Missouri, a pond is just a bank that circles a body of water, and it's not very big but it just catches the rainwater from the area so that the livestock can drink. Or when it's really hot, so they, the cows would wade into the pond. A pond is a good thing. It's good, but it only really blesses one small area. And the water is not something that, you know, you would ever, ever actually drink as a human. No kid goes in the pond swimming it's just something that is there. And you can fish in the pond. That's okay. You can, um, but it's, it's only good for very limited things, and it doesn't go anywhere. You can see it all at one time, and you can actually have pretty good control of it. But that's a lot different than a river. We used to go to a river nearby, a river called the Merrimack River. You heard me talk about this before. And the Merrimack River is a flowing river that's spring-fed. Matter of fact, if you take a float on the Merrimack on a canoe, you will often go past the place where Merrimack Springs enters the river, and it goes from about 70 degrees to about 50 degrees in about 20 yards. It's phenomenal. You can actually drink the water out of the spring. It's refreshing. It's clean. It's moving forward. But it also changes. When you see a pond, you see the whole pond. That's all there is. But when you get on a river, every time you go around a bend, you see something new. You don't know exactly what's coming, but it's always moving forward. Sometimes you have to get out and drag your boat across shallow gravel sandbars. Sometimes you get into very deep areas where the water moves very slow, and there might be a rope swing or a cave for you to enjoy. The church... And we as followers of Jesus, we need to be rivers rather than ponds. See, sometimes we think, well, if I can just become a follower of Jesus, that's it. I've arrived. I'm there. All I need to do is just show up for church occasionally, and I'll be fine. And that's my whole life. And it's just kind of a pond mentality versus a river mentality. As our kids go to camp this week, they're going to encounter a river for sure. You don't go to camp and come back the same. So today, we're going to look at ponds and rivers, and we're in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Let me set the stage, because remember, Acts is kind of a, it's a story, but there's different storylines going on at the same time that do come together ultimately, but Luke tells us about this, he tells us about Peter, Peter's escape from prison, and now it's back to Paul and Barnabas and what's happening. We have the church in Jerusalem, we also have church around the world. So right now, Acts chapter 13 talks about the very first church that really began to reach people other than Jews, and this is the church at Antioch. And the church at Antioch started because of persecution that happened to the church in Jerusalem. So God allowed somebody named Saul to start persecuting the church. Stephen was martyred. Saul goes around dragging people out of their houses, putting them in prison, killing them. some of them, and so the church has to disperse. And so they do, and churches spring up everywhere, and one of those was Antioch. And at Antioch, we see a lot of Gentiles, non-Jews, begin to receive Jesus Christ, to receive the gift of salvation. And it gets really exciting. It begins to explode with growth. And so the church of Jerusalem sends Barnabas, the son of encouragement, out to check it out. He's the one to say, hey, are these people legitimate? Are they just kind of a fake kind of a thing? Is it real? Barnabas goes and he sees the grace of God is how Luke describes it. He sees God giving his gift of salvation to people who don't deserve it at all. He sees God being glorified. He sees lives being changed. And Barnabas looks at us and he goes, Hey, I can do all this myself. No, he doesn't. He looks at us and he goes, No, I've got to go get some help. I need to get some more leadership, some more talent in here. I need to get someone who can help me. And so he goes and gets the very man who was responsible for the persecution that caused the church at Antioch to be planted. He goes and gets Saul. And he brings Saul, who's been saved gloriously on the road to Damascus. He's been working in the area called Tarsus. And he brings them to the city of Antioch, to this church. And together they work for about a year, raising up leaders, working with people, helping them grow and develop, all the way to the point where they decide that they know there's a problem going to happen in the economy in Jerusalem. And they send them a huge offering by Saul and by Barnabas. And so Saul and Barnabas work together. And that's where we pick up the story in uh, Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, where the Lord says this, Now there, was, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Really interesting verse. Remember, anytime you see real names, it means real people, right? It does not say there was a group of prophets and teachers. It goes on in names, actual people. And it says there were prophets and teachers at Antioch, and it says these five guys were all prophets and teachers. Now, remember in Scripture, sometimes we think a prophet only as someone who Foretells and says, This is going to happen. The Dolphins are going to be a good team this fall. Might be a false prophecy. Please don't crucify me if that's not true. But they, they would say, God's going to do this. This is going to happen. But really, prophets are both. They're more proclaimers of God's truth. And many prophets are simply saying what God says. But it's more really a preacher and a teacher. They're teaching, they're, they're building up the body. And these five men are all mentioned on the same level. It doesn't say this one was first, this one was second. In fact, Barnabas is mentioned first, and Saul, who would really be, arguably the greatest apostle, is mentioned last. So interesting. It's also also interesting who they are. Barnabas is a Jew from Cyprus, which is an island in the, in the I say the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, uh, you know, where my mind is most of the time. Um, it's an island in the Mediterranean, about 100 miles off the coast. And uh, that's where Barnabas is from. He's a Jew. uh, Saul is a Jew from Tarsus. They have heavy Jewish background. But then there's these other three guys. Simeon, who was called Niger. That's all we know about him. But anybody that was called Niger, which means black, was likely dark-skinned. And then there was uh, Lucius of Cyrene. Well, Cyrene is in North Africa. So it's likely he also would have been of a different ethnicity, but probably dark-skinned. And then there's Menaean. I love how they describe him. He's a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. This is Herod that would have been the son of Herod the Great. And he was essentially what, this, what the original language says is he was nursed with him. Or like either he was, either they were had the same nurse, the same person who fed them or they were half brothers. They're very close. At the very least, he is of the same class as Herod, so of the ruling class. We often think of God saving the poor and the outcasts, but he also saves those of upper classes as well. So here's this guy who probably would have had a great role in the government, and now he is one of the top five leaders in this church at Antioch. It's really cool how God has put this team together. It's not what you would think. It's people different people from different places with different backgrounds. It sounds a lot like South Florida. It's really a, an interesting way that God has put this together. So these are the leaders and they've been raised up. Saul and Barnabas have helped raise these people up. So over time, leaders have been raised from non-believers to those who are now prophets and teachers. really is what the church is all about. You know, it's so fun to see people develop and grow and to see God raise them up and equip them. That's really what we're all about as a church. Verse 2 of chapter 13. And let me, before I everything seems great, right? The church is good. We've got leadership. Everything's in place. It seems like they should just be thinking, okay, we're just going to take over. We're just going to grow and develop and take over Antioch. And it's all about us. It's all about here. It's all about our place. But look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. So get the picture here. Here is a people, a church, and their leaders, and probably the church as well. They gathered together to fast and pray. Now to fast means that we're going to withhold something from our lives, usually food. In order to connect with God, that's really the simple definition. The idea of fasting is I want to get some stuff out of my life so I can focus on Jesus. It's not, incidentally, just to get God to do something. It's really more to move us onto his agenda. This is what you're going to do, God. This is what I know you want to do. Tell me how you want me to do it. Maybe give me direction on how you want it to happen. And that seems to be what's happening here. God, you've built this church. Now what? What's next for us? How do you want to use us? We know that, that Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And that seems like maybe that's what's about to happen. They come together and they pray and they want to do what God wants them to do. And the Holy Spirit speaks. Now, we don't know. It could have been audible, but it probably wasn't. You see, when we're all filled with the Holy Spirit, we can all hear the same thing in the same voice, which incidentally is a great practice, especially in your home with your wife. If you're both filled with the Holy Spirit and you disagree about something like where to go for lunch. No, something serious like how are we going to live our lives? How's our family going to live? Are we going to move? Are we going to stay? What's going to be next? It's a good idea to say, you know what, let's pray about this and let's be open to whatever God wants us to do. And let's see what he might speak to both of us. Because man, if God speaks to both of us, I'm pretty sure we're on the right track. I might get messed up. It's unlikely, but she might get messed up. But for us both to get messed up in the same direction is really unlikely if we're seeking to hear from the Holy Spirit. So I love that they got together, they prayed, they fasted, and the Spirit was faithful to speak to them. And he spoke to them something that really to most of us would seem like that's a really bad idea. He says to them, I want to take your top two leaders are two of the guys who were foundational in the formation of this church, and I want to move them somewhere else. If I'm in that prayer meeting, I don't know, maybe I'm just too human, but I want to say, no, God, we need those people. Oh, but God is the supplier in me, And God has a much bigger view than us. He says, I'm going to take these two guys because the church is a river. It's not a pond. Church isn't a place to come and collect leaders and collect our stuff. It's a place to get those leaders ready to go on to what God wants to do next, right? And that's what he calls them to do. No one stands up and says, no, Lord, that's a bad idea. No one stands up and says, Lord, we can't do it without them. Rather, you know those guys, Simeon, Lucius, and Manan are thinking, I think it's time for us to develop some more guys. I think it's time for us to develop some more leaders. See, when God blesses a church with great leadership, he's no doubt going to send some of them out. We've seen that in our church. We sent two staff members that we really like a lot. We love them. Jonathan went to Tampa for the next step in his career. Greg went to God knows where. Now, Greg is uh, is in Eastern Europe ministering to our armed forces, and Sarah's in Colorado Springs ministering to people on base. It's something we have to be ready for because a church is a river, it's not a pond. The church needs to flow, it doesn't need to get stagnant. We need to have a passion for what God wants to do for his purpose. See, if you've received the gift of salvation, I think about this. If you've received the greatest gift in the universe, forgiveness for your sins and salvation for your soul, a purpose in life, and a future forever with Jesus, it seems like that would be the most important thing to share. Seems like we would be passionate about that. I love what missionary leader and author Fred McClung says and how he puts this. It's pretty challenging. He says, those who have apostolic passion are planning to go but willing to stay. You know you have it when you are deeply disappointed that God has not called you to leave your home and get out among those who have never heard his name. Planning to go, willing to stay. God, I need to be thinking about what is next. Where do you want us to be involved? How do you want to use us? Where's this river flowing? What do you want us to do? Rather than saying, God, thank you for bringing us here so we don't ever have to go anywhere again. I know what you're thinking. Uh, Steve, we're in South Florida everybody wants to be here. So I'm sure that God definitely wants us to be here, right? Because this is where everyone who's, no offense to those of you who are listening and I don't know where, uh, this is a great place, right? This is a great place to work. It's a great place to serve. There are people from all over the world here, but you know what? There were people from all over the world in Antioch. It already was a mission location. We can never think we've arrived, folks church is a river it's not a pond see the church is a calling it's not a it's not a club if we know what we know and we believe what we believe if we believe in the jesus of the bible we know that there's a calling to help others know that that's why our mission as a church is to make jesus known that's what we're about and that's got to be foremost in our mind we love to get together don't get me wrong We love the fellowship that we enjoy. I love hearing your stories. We love telling each other uh, important things in our lives. We love walking this journey together. But if there's no calling, it's just a club. We don't need another club. Another analogy, it's a passion, not a party. It's something we're passionate about, not that we're just going to get together and have a good time. Because it's really, the battle for souls is a war. It's a battle. It's a struggle. It's a mission. It's not a wedding. The wedding will come one day in heaven, won't it? It's going to be incredible. When we gather before the throne with Jesus Christ and we have this wedding supper of the Lamb, we have this incredible time. Weddings are fun and they're great, but as a church, we're in the middle of a war. The war for the souls of men. And God has given us the opportunity to reach people for him, Revelation 3, you know, the early part of Revelation talks about the seven churches. And he writes, and most of them, five out of the seven, it's really a negative review on them. It's not good. The Philadelphia, it's a really strong, positive thing that he says to them. One of the things he says to them in verse 8, chapter 3 of Revelation, he says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. I have given you opportunity. There's opportunity for you to go and do what I've called you to do. He goes, I know that you have but little, little power, but you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. I've set before you an open door. I've set before you a river, not a pond. Open banks, not closed banks. I've called you to go and be what I need for you to be. When we think like a river as a church and as individuals, There's three great things that happen in our lives. Three things. First, it forces us to trust in God. And that's the whole name of the game in following Jesus. It's all about trusting him. Trusting him doesn't just happen when you come to know him, and when you follow him, and when you get saved. Trusting is a whole lifestyle. I'm trusting you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sin. I'm trusting you, Jesus, to pay for my sin. I'm trusting you, Jesus, to take care of me, to be, the, to be my shepherd so I won't want, Psalm 23.1. It's a really good thing to have to trust God. It's a really good thing. I think sometimes our goal in life is to be safe and to not have to trust him anymore. But let me ask you, what's happening in your life that requires you to trust him? What are the things in your life that require you to follow him? And if God doesn't come through, things are just not going to work out. We need to think like a river. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what's around the bend. But we're trusting the God who owns the river. Thinking like a river forces us to trust God. It also opens up space for new leaders to be developed. I love the fact that even though Jonathan and Greg have gone to the next thing, we have Aaron and Jimmy taking their place. It's amazing to see God raise up leaders among us to see them step into roles that they might not have had if the rest of us hadn't thought like a river. We've launched six couples, I think, in the last year who have moved to different places, and we're hearing from them that how God is blessing them and thanking us for the time that they had here. The church is a river, and if it's not a river, we kind of close off opportunity for people. And also for those leaders that stayed behind, they realize they need to adjust, they need to grow, they need to change, they need to develop. Third, thinking like a river expands our reach and our ability to bless people downstream and far beyond our sight. You know, if you dam up a river, people downstream don't have water. And if we were to hoard God's blessing, there would be people that would miss God's blessing. We can reach far more people by opening up saying, God, take us wherever you want. Do whatever you want. Because our goal is to make Jesus known all over the world. And we're excited about those opportunities. We, wanna, we don't want to be a pond that just affects one little location and just a few livestock. We want to be a river that blesses an entire region. That's what God calls us to so how do I get there? You may be asking. You know, Steve, I don't know. It sounds good, but I'm kind of comfortable where I am. I kind of like where I am. Um, what, what what do I need to do? Well, let me just very simply. We need to make sure that our hearts and minds are aligned with Jesus Christ, who gave up the greatest position in the universe to come and die for you and I. My heart needs to be aligned. God, I want to go. Uh, my purpose is your purpose. I want to go and make disciples of all nations. I want to, I want to see that happen. That has to be my heart. I need to align my goals, my hopes, my dreams, the goals of Jesus. And then I need to examine the limitations I have or the limitations I've given to God. You know, I was a kid. I remember hearing a message like this and thinking, this sounds really great, but I'm not going to Africa. I mean, I'm afraid they brought those missionaries in. How many of you had those missionaries with your kids? Those missionaries come in, they got the shrunken heads, and they, they talk about cannibals. You're like, I'm not going. To, I'm not, I, that's only, God, I love you. I'll go anywhere, but not to Africa. You know what? In 2006, we went to Africa. What limitations have you placed on it? This is what you can do. I'll only go this far. The moment you place limitations on God, you become a pond rather than a river. And you miss out on the great things that God wants to do. And really, there's four areas that I want you to focus on this week. Are there any limitations on these four areas? And are you aligned with the mission of Jesus Christ in these four areas? Number one, location. This is where we are. God, I don't want to move. Amen. I hear you. But God, you can do whatever you want. My hands are open. I'll go where you want me to go. It may not even be a physical move. It may be a job move. It may be a different place you're going to work out or a different place you're going to go to reach people. Location, God, where do you want me to be physically? Second, what's my assignment? Sometimes we feel like, you know, I've been doing this role for the longest time, and, and that's all I'm going to do the rest of my life. I'm going to teach children. I'm going to be an usher. I'm going to uh, do tech, whatever it is. And, but really, what is God calling you to do? What's your assignment? And do you face Him with open hands? God, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. I'm ready to learn and grow however you want me to do that. So location, assignment, third, generosity. Generosity generosity you see if my life is a river then god's providing what comes in and i need to make sure to be faithful with what goes out god i want to be generous with the gifts you've given me with the financial resources Because I trust you. God, I'm not trying to hoard everything into my little pond, into my little banks, or bank, if you will. God, I'm going to let it flow. I want to give at least a big portion of what you give me to others because I want to see your message permeate the entire region. Location, assignment, generosity, and finally, those that you love. It's hard to let people go. It's risky to let people go. It's a little scary. But when I allow God to do what he wants to do in the lives of people that I'm close to, I mean, friends, family, children, parents, we have to say, God, you own them. I mean, really, the most exciting thing that happens to me, really one of my favorite pieces of news is when someone who lives somewhere else that I even had a little bit of influence on says, you know what, I got to do this for Jesus today. That is the greatest joy. They went somewhere else, they shared the good news of Jesus. That's exciting. So let me ask you, where are you today? Do you think like a pond or do you think like a river? When I was 40 years old, I went to a river. I was set. I had told God, I'm going to work until I'm probably late 40s, early 50s, and I'm going to retire early, and then I'll follow you full-time in ministry. And I went to a river one day. And God said, I want you to get in the river. The river was flowing pretty fast. And as I prayed, as I sought the Lord, I just heard Him say, I need you to trust me and I want you to get in the river and go wherever the river takes you and I want you to follow me in vocational ministry. My God, I'm 40 years old. I have a house. I have a mortgage. I have kids. I want you to trust me. I want you to go where I'm going to send you. We did. Texas, West Palm, Delray. We've had the privilege of having the call of Barnabas and Saul. And now we have the privilege of having the call of Simeon, Lucius, and Manaen. See, some of you are called to stay. Some of you are called to go. The important thing is that we are open to what God wants to do with the goal to make Jesus known. That's the thrilling part about being a part of a church. It's joyful to gather and to hear each other's stories and to encourage one another. And it's joyful to hear what you're doing in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, and your families. But it's also it's a joy when God says, I'm gonna take this person and I'm gonna move them somewhere else. Because they've been prepared here for what I'm gonna use them for somewhere else. What's God calling you to be? What's God calling you to be? Where is He calling you to go? What assignment does he want you to have? What is he calling you to give? Who is he calling you to let go of? Would you say yes to Jesus today? Jesus said to you, I'm going to move you to Africa. I'm going to move you to Asia. I'm going to move you to as far away as Boynton Beach, Florida, or anywhere else. Church is a river.